Welcome to Prince Drive by Track presents Stevie Wonder Classics and today we'll be talking about You Are the Sunshine of My Life from the album Talking Book and this is the opening track from Talking Book released on the 28th of October 1972 later released as a single in 1973 with some additional horns uh, which were played by um, Steve Medeo Trevor Lawrence and David Sanborn, who were obviously playing horns for Stevie on a regular basis. On this track, we obviously have Stevie. Uh, we have got Jim Gilstrap taking the first line of the song, and then we've got Lanny Groves taking the next couple of lines. Uh, yeah. In the background, Gloria Barley is uh, providing backing vocals. Um, and then we also have um, on electric bass, Scott Edwards. Um, and Stevie is playing everything. He's playing the Fender Rhodes, he's playing the drums, he's doing the lead vocal, and he's doing the background vocal. But unusually, as said, he doesn't do the first verse. Like, the first proper kind of chorus of this album, the first things you hear when you start listening to Talking Book are Jim yeah. Gilstrap and Lanny Groves. Um, and then Stevie comes in. Uh, That's and a bold choice. Bold. Yes. Something I think maybe Prince copied for the opening of 1999. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the song is 2 minutes 58, and joining me to talk about today is Christy Norman. Hello, Christy. Hello. This is, by most definitions, uh, you know, people agree that this is the start of Stevie Wonder's classic period. Um, you know, he won a Grammy for this song. He won a Grammy for, a, you know, a couple of other songs on this album. Um, and then from this point on, um, he was literally a, you know, a Grammy winning machine. Um, yes. You know, the, the famous the famous joke goes that when he didn't release an album in 1975 and Paul Simon won album of the year, he thanked Stevie Wonder for not releasing <laughs> an album that year. Um, because Stevie Wonder, you know, pretty much, you know, the next two albums won Grammy of the year. Songs in Kia Life won Grammy of the year. And they, you know, over this period, he now picks up like 11 Grammys in the space of like four years. Um, right. Which in the 70s is kind of uh, that's an that's kind of an amazing pace to pick up Grammys. But then. You know, because there's so many categories for Grammys these days, it is possible for some people to win 11 Grammys in one night now. So uh, right. it seems less impressive. But at the same time, you know, uh, album of the year is is kind of the big one. And, and he won it, you know, a number of times. Uh, and I, right. I'm not sure that any other artist has won it as many times since. I think people have won it twice. I think Adele won it twice. Um, yeah. But album of the year is like a, you know, a hard one for people to kind of win. Um, and of course, there was, um, I think it was, I'm trying to think if it was for their first or second album, but um, there was that time when Arcade Fire won for album of the year and the reaction was mostly who um, from a lot of people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, I mean, <laughs> and that's that's kind of what's happened with the Grammys is like a lot of the winners, people are kind of like wondering who they are because obviously, you know, people don't sell stuff in, you know, as high numbers these days. I mean, right. Songs in the Key of Life sold 10 million copies. So, <laughs> so when Stevie Wonder win- wins for Album of the Year, pretty much everybody knows what that album is. Um, right. Whereas I, th- I think these days... Because everybody bought sold. it. Everybody who's watching the Grammys bought it. Yeah. And and now I think even if you didn't own it and you watched the Grammys, because, of course, Stevie Wonder, you know, had this... He started, I think, kind of from the next couple of years at the Grammys, this, this weird thing where he performed at a ton of different award ceremonies. Um, and he was like, a, in the 80s, it was like every single award ceremony had Stevie Wonder performing, even if he didn't have any music out, like he would just be there to perform um, yeah. and, you know, kind of duet with other people. And, you know, so 
like I think he, I mean he's very good at publicizing stuff so you know like all those appearances um I know that he did a performance at the Grammys of you haven't done nothing um with the Jackson 5 coming out to do the backing vocals uh like live at the ceremony so um you know he, like he was he was kind of from this point on he becomes kind of unmatched in the 70s like I don't think there's anyone else there's other there's other artists that I think kind of you know put out albums and sell albums that are kind of a rate that's almost in the same range, you know, uh, I think possibly Elton John, Billy Joel, you know, two of the guys who sat behind pianos, who probably, you know, sold, you know, roughly the same numbers as Stevie Wonder, but I don't know that they had the same kind of cultural impact in the 70s or um, they, I don't, I don't know that they were that's regarded fair. in the same way critically, you know, um, you know, not that, not that I don't like Billy Joel or Elton John, but I just don't think that they would, they were kind of following the trends and just kind of doing what they normally did and, you know, Stevie Wonder was kind of, you know, breaking the mold. Right. Uh, first of all, by having other people sing his lines in the opening of his album, which, again, it's always one of those weird things where, like, the first, like, obviously, I think everybody pretty much knows this song. And when you hear those first lines, you're like, that's not Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know why Stevie did it. Like, I, there's no kind of like specific thing that I know where it's like he, he like, that's the reason he did it. But I just like that. You have what sounds like a couple singing this this sentiment to each other, right? So you know the opening of "You Are the Sunshine of My Life," that's why I always be around, and then you know you are the apple of my eye, forever you'll stay in my heart. So I like I like that it sounds like this is a duet between a couple that are singing. I don't I don't think the Jim Gilstrap and Lenny Groves were ever a couple, but that's what it it sounds like, right? You know? um, I can imagine I can imagine an, an Ashford and a Simpson singing this to each other. Um, you know, or a Womack and a Womack yeah. singing it to each other. Like, that's what it feels like. But then when Stevie Wonder comes in, it just shows you how great his voice is. That when he just sings the words, I feel like this is the beginning. And you're like, oh my God, this guy is... Like, he's in a different level to the... Like, the people who just sung, they're great singers. But the way that Stevie comes in, it's yeah, like, it's oh my amazing. God, his voice is amazing. Yeah. And it just kind of blows you away. Um, and of course, Talking Book is... It's not Stevie Wonder's divorce album. It's his honeymoon slash divorce album. Yeah. And this well, is he wasn't married very long. This is something, yeah. This is something I'll discuss with in, in, the, in, in pretty much every single upcoming track where either like this song, it's a song that's clearly written when he's deeply in love with Sirita. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of timeless lyrics about how much he loves someone. Yeah. Um, and it it's also kind of, it's like, it feels very much like this is, this is kind of raw Stevie Wonder. This is what I, whenever I think of Stevie Wonder's songwriting, this is what I think of is his kind of, his, his declarations of certain emotions. Yes. Um, you know, and so we go from that, of course, in the next track, <laughs> he's then like, maybe your baby's done made some other plans. And it's like, OK, something's <laughs> happened. <laughs> like One moment <laughs> that took a turn. Yeah. And then he kind of brings it back because he's like, you and I, we can conquer the world. And then it's like, oh, was, you know, OK. And then it's like Tuesday heartbreak. And it's like, oh, I, I OK, yeah. things have things have taken a turn again. Um, so poor guy, it's a roller coaster. Yeah, and I, I, I what this, that's one of the things that I love about this album, though, is just the kind of immediate contrast. Like, I feel like he could have easily separated out, you know, like uh, looking for another pure love, and you know, um, you are my sunshine, and uh, and you and I can conquer the world, and um, you know, I believe he could have put all those on side one, and he could have made it all, you know, everything was kind of like, you know a honeymoon like album on the on the first side and yeah. then he could have put all of the this breakup. is the couple that's working yeah he could have put it, all the breakup yeah. stuff on the second side if he wanted 
But he instead, he yeah, kind of... It would have made sense. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, he kind of jumps from one to the other. And even then, like, Blame It on the Sun is co-written by Cyrita. And this is, like, six months after they divorced that he's writing the songs with her. Right. So it's worth saying as well, like, it's not like their divorce was, a, a, you know, kind of a contentious thing or anything. By all accounts, it was very amicable. Mm. You know, he pro- he produced an yeah. album for her after they like, broke continue- up. Yeah. You know. They continued working together quite a lot. Yeah, right? yeah, and like, and, yeah. and I, I, um, I think I'd have to double check, but I think he even sang at her funeral as well. Like he stayed. Uh, I think so. Yeah, he stayed close with her for the rest of her life, um, and I think the yeah. only reason they got divorced is, you know, because he was putting out because he was working so much. Basically, like he was spending so much time in the studio that he he kind of had no time for her. And the irony is, of course, you know, she only met him because he spent so much time in the studio. <laughs> so um, the kind of back and forth nature of it and just the kind of the way that he's in love, so deeply in love as well. Like the sentiment in this song is so kind of beautiful. Um, you know, like this, yeah. this kind of like, uh, uh, you know, when he says, I feel like this is the beginning, which, you know, you could apply to, you know, this being the beginning of his classic run of albums, if you want. Um, Though I've loved you for mm-hmm. a million years. Mm-hmm. Um, And if I thought our love was ending, I'd find myself drowning in my own tears. Like that's like the fact that this song is so I mean, it must be said as well. Like, first of all, Stevie Wonder's voice is beautiful. And also the production of this song is so great. Like just the instrumentation, the kind of the everything about it is so perfect. Um, And I don't know why, but for the single release, they decided to ruin it by adding some horns that weren't really that necessary. Um, Because a little inexplicable, but whatever. It was a choice. Yeah. Somebody made a decision. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, the kind of like i i don't know like the the one like this is the almost the same as like um you know help by um by the beatles where you know john lennon composed right. it as like this downbeat kind of cry for help literally um and if you slow that song right down it does sound like someone who's like really depressed and has no idea what to do with their life but then you speed it up and it just becomes like you know a jaunty pop song and i think like the right. the second the second verse of this song is like if Stevie Wonder was not singing this at this kind of upbeat pace, the fact that he's saying you must have known that I was lonely because you came to my rescue. It's like, <laughs> you know, like this is this is yeah. you know like a twenty something year old who you know met this woman and you know like the fact that Stevie Wonder had been like touring since he was like eleven years old and he'd basically been on like a right. treadmill for a decade and it's like you know this i guess this is like if you think about other artists that motown had that were extremely young that was you know basically spent their entire childhood performing it makes you think that maybe this is the sentiment that they had but were never able to express and you know when he says i know that this must be heaven how much how could so much love be inside of you and it's just like you know it's it's such like it's so weird that in the next song he's literally like you've cheated on me with another man and it's like the amount of emotion that's just in that in that one verse like the it just it, sometimes when i think about it it's like how it it just makes like stevie wonder is obviously has because his persona has been someone who's permanently happy so just the fact that he was yeah. kind of stuck on this treadmill with motown and he was obviously so kind of lonely and you know i mean what friends did he have, you know, when he was younger? Like, I mean, if he's constantly on tour, everybody he's touring with is like 10 years older than him. There's no way that he's like, yeah, he didn't have making friends with the temptations or had, somebody like that. <laughs> like it's right. You know. He had coworkers, not friends. Yeah. And I think that's why, no, that's not to say that Stephen Winner didn't make real friends, but I think that sentiment in this song makes no. it feel like this is somebody who kind of, Cyrita's there behind the desk at Motown and Stevie walks in and maybe he has a conversation where he's like, 
you know, she realizes he's, you know, literally all he's doing is performing and recording songs and he's he's not got any other life. Right. And, you know, she she comes to his rescue. And I just kind of I love that sentiment. And it's it's so kind of, um, you know, like I said, and in a kind of slower song, you know, somebody could kind of slow this song down. And, and that sentiment just becomes extremely heartbreaking. Um, but then, of course, he immediately turns it around with the chorus and he starts saying, yeah. you know, you are the sunshine in my life. And then in the background, he has like the, the you know, the background singers, which, of course, include himself because he's always doing his own background vocals. Right. Uh, they cut, start singing Joy Has Found Us. And, uh, you know, it's just so kind of like infectious and stuff. You just can't help but enjoy the song. Like it's it's, you know, so kind of uplifting. Um, yes. And I'm going to guess most people kind of know the chorus and don't really notice that in the verses he's kind of saying that. Yeah. How sad he was before she was there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I don't know. I, I just love it so much. Uh, you know, six out of five. It's it's like such a great <laughs> song, you know. Yeah. And I, and, it, and I can understand why it won like best male pop vocal performance, you know, because in his just the, when he comes in with the i feel like this is the beginning you you're instantly like oh yeah this is this is why stevie wonder is is like one of the best singers you know that has been in the last like 60 70 years whatever right. it is like just when he comes in with that line you're like oh yeah that's that's what makes the difference like the you know nothing to take away from jim and lanny you know they deliver those first few lines you know well enough but as soon as stevie comes in the song just is something completely different well yeah and they're in that first uh verse as well there's also and if i thought our love was ending i'd find myself drowning in my own tears and that's a reference to a song written by henry glover and yeah performed most famously by ray charles in 1957 drown in my own tears and stevie wonder you mentioned uh, previously that he did his early work was a lot of covers and he actually did a cover of that on his 1962 album tribute to uncle Ray. And I d- didn't realize how, what history that had, but it was such a nice callback. I thought to his earlier sort of work that was maybe slightly less his own. It was more of a, a learning period in his career. And here he is with this beautiful song that he's written himself. That's just, you know, so sweet and loving and lovely. And he's calling back to this earlier part of his life was also something really nice. Like he's calling back to this earlier part of his life where maybe he was a little lonely, but he's doing it in a way that's saying, how much he cares for her. And I thought it was really interesting and sweet. And and I think it's funny because like, you know, a song like, um, you know, Drowning My Own Tears, like when Stevie Wonder recorded, like you're saying, like 1962, he's like, what, nine years old, 10 years old? <laughs> so it's like, I think, I, well, 62, I think he was 12-ish. Yeah, so it, it's yeah. like... I Like a tween. It, it just feels really... Yeah, so it's really weird to think of him kind of expressing this emotion about, you know, uh, since you've been gone, I guess I'm drowning in my own tears. It's like... Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is he talking about like going to school and missing his mom or something? Like, yeah, or a it, puppy. It feels like such a yeah, yeah. His puppy it feels ran like such away, and I'm gonna drown in my own yeah. tears. You know, I mean, what kind of <laughs> life experience does a a tween have to be able to sing those kind yeah. of things? But here he is calling back to that, yeah. but with his own song, with his own emotion. It's so nice, and I think that's what works about this song. Is like, 
I, you know, I don't know that you could. I mean, I guess I'm sure out there there's been. I mean, this song's been covered by like a ton of different people, so I'm sure there's some kind of I don't know, like you know, Justin Bieber or something who's done a cover of this, <laughs> you know, without having the emotion behind the the lyrics, right? Um, and I think like. I, I, in particular, like when when he sings, you know, if I thought our love was ending and he kind of goes into his lower register for the word ending. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's something that like little Stevie wouldn't have been able to do. Like he wouldn't be able to use that kind of like his vocal register, to express these emotions. Right. And like he kind of he's almost showing off a little bit as if to say, look, this, you know, now I'm an adult. This is this is what my voice does now. Like it's not it's not like when I was a little kid and everything was like, you know, kind of super high. It's like, yeah, he's actually got the, the kind of the not only just the, the range, but he's also got the emotional depth to be able to say. You know, if if I'm not with this person, it's it's kind of you know it's going to feel like it's the end of the world. Um, but then, of course, in the next song, he's like, "Oh, by the way, she cheated on me and made some other plans." <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I just I love this album just for the fact that Stevie did that. Like, he's like, "Here's a song where I'm deeply in love. Here's one where." You know, me and Cyrita aren't talking anymore. You know, just that kind of the swinging is is. Well, we all know that couple, right? That are they're together and then they're not and then they're together and then they're not and you have to be really careful as to what you say about the person that they've just broken up with because you know they're going to get back together with them that's kind of how I feel like this (laughs) album goes it's like you got to be careful not to say anything too bad about their ex because you know they're probably going to get back together yeah um And it's worth saying as well, this is the first album that, um, you know, Stevie Wonder, he contributed, like, he had two producers come on board, uh, Malcolm Cecil and Robert Margulef, Um And they were best known for being in the band uh, Tonto's Expanding Headband. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> which, which is exactly what it sounds like, um, you know, and they only released two albums um, and they, you know, they weren't like like hugely successful um uh the word tonto was actually an acronym for the original new timbrel orchestra okay uh, which was a it was a polyphonic synthesizer um uh there's lots of videos on the internet if you kind of look up tonto and you'll you'll see the the thing and it's it's kind of amazing because it's gigantic um it's literally like a semicircle of like wooden cabinets Ooh, um, cool that spans 20 that's like 20 feet wide and six feet tall <laughs> and it has tons and tons of wires linking different things and it has like a number of different keyboards um and you know basically the uh, the funny thing is like the the copyright to like you know the actual tonto was owned by the like the two band members um so if other people huh. used it on their records and stuff they had to kind of pay to use it so you know they okay. made they they made their money from that basically and then they they basically end up producing all of stevie wonder's albums from this point onwards huh. um you know up until um songs in the key of life when they they didn't produce that because i think uh stevie had kind of given up on using the tonto at that point um but yeah so like the next four albums i think or next three albums were all produced by them um, and on this particular album they actually won the uh, uh the grammy i think it was uh, yeah the grammy for best engineered album Wow, comma non non classical. <laughs> so, uh, of course, all those wonderful Grammy subdivisions of different awards. So this won the Grammy just for the the production of the album, and uh, you know, obviously the Tonto's not used on this track. Um, you know, I think the first track it's used on is "You and I," um, and that's okay. literally the first ever track he used it on. But then it's on 
you know, you got it, bad girl, and um, I think also blame it on the sun, uh, if I remember rightly. So it's it's on a couple of tracks on here, but they still did the production on every every other track anyway with Stevie. Um, and then you know the next couple of albums, he like really once. I mean, the thing is with the Tonto is the sound of it is so warm. I mean, if you just listen to you and I, mm-hmm. the Tonto is basically the basis for the entire of that song, and it is it's such a very specific kind of warm sound. It's like a lot. It's different to kind of other synthesizers or kind of keyboards that he used because it's it's less kind of mechanical. Okay. Um, and and you know, it, I mean, I, I I mean the thing that I I mean I'm, I'm a huge fan of Fender Rhodes. Like when anybody uses a Fender Rhodes on anything, I'm pretty much sold. <laughs> um, so obviously on this track, you know, that's what he's using is the Fender Rhodes, and then the next track he uses a clavinet and then the Tonto. So it's just he's using a number of different kind of synthesizers, and I think that's the thing that kind of. Is the is the distinguishing feature of what people view as Stevie Wonder's kind of classic period? You know, I view it as the previous two albums plus this album. Okay. But I think that when he starts using these different types of synthesizers, you know, he's not just using one um, synthesizer as he was for the previous couple of albums. But when he really starts to expand out into the different types of synthesizers, and later on he gets like a, a Yamaha, I think it's a GX one. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of distinguishes this. Like, it's not just the same sound on every track. It's like a, you know, there's a kind of a real variation between which different kind of um, synthesizers he used. And I think that's the kind of, that's the thing that made this cutting edge in the 70s. And it's the thing that made it sound like everything else in the 80s. You know, once everybody else started using synthesizers, then Stevie Wonder's stuff in the 80s ends up sounding like everyone else and it kind of loses its edge. But, you know, for the 70s, you know, he was he was way out there in front and, you know, uh, he pretty much was just using the Moog bass as the bass on everything. He didn't have anyone playing the bass. And then, you right. know, along with the kind of clavinet and everything, that's kind of what defined his sound. Um, and I just I don't think anybody else like was able to kind of take that sound and use it in uh, you know, as as like good a way, because obviously Stevie Wonder being, you know, um, a, a kind of a genius anyway on the piano. That translated so well to the way that he used synthesizers. He didn't just play the synthesizers at a, you know, at a high level of, you know, being like a good pianist, but he actually used them in a slightly different way to kind of create different textures. And that's one of the things that like the Tonto really allowed him to do was to kind of add these different textures. Um, And, you know, that's certainly something that kind of, I, I don't know, it's one of the weird things that even though it's very specific to the 70s, it kind of makes these albums a little bit more timeless. Okay. Because the, the synthesizer sound that he he's using is not like an 80s synthesizer sound. Like You can hear anything from the 80s and you're like... Yeah, that was real mechanical. Yeah. This is a little it's a, warmer. Yeah. And I think it's like it's the same yeah. with like a Fender. A Fender Rhodes, like the sound of that is so warm and it's not tied to a yeah. specific period that it kind of makes things feel a little, a little timeless. And I think that's why this song in particular feels so kind of like timeless is not just the the emotion that's being expressed you know and just the you know the phrase you are the sunshine of my life is such a like it's such a great like you know i think like every title on this 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 you know album is is so kind of perfect because you know the phrase you are the sunshine of my life like you know i think the kind of you are my sunshine was already you know a well-known song but the fact that he's he's like you are the sunshine of my life like straight away like oh well that's taken a well-known phrase and added something to it and made it seem a little different um and that's also something that i think you know stevie was very good at is like kind of coming up with these um you know titles that seem like they've been around forever like it feels like the phrase you are the sunshine of my life has been around forever but obviously it hasn't it's only been around since 1974 
Um, and it, right. And it, so it's uh, you know it's it's kind of, it's kind of weird that like Stevie's like oh you know like that's that's a phrase that he's invented that I'm sure if you say now people they would even recognize the phrase without having known what the song is. Right. But yeah, so I don't know. I yeah, for sure. Well, you know, this song ended up on every mixtape compilation of romance songs given between young lovers. This is the song that ended up on there. They're oh. You know, between this and You Are My Valentine and, you know, all those sweet, sappy songs. This was on there. This was probably the best song on there. Although I, th- I feel like people are overlooking the sentiment in the verses, though. That's the thing. That's like... Well, <laughs> yes. You know, if, if people kind of knew the sentiment in the verses, it's like, you know, somebody sent me this on a mixtape and then they were, uh, I'd listen to the verses and I'd be like, hold on a second. If I, wait, if I no. don't love you, you're drowning <laughs> yeah. in, my, in your own tears. What's hold on a second here? You know, like you were lonely, and I noticed you. Hold, what's going on here? Let's, you know, let's dial this back. We're thirteen. We're not, we're not getting married. Yeah. Like, let's, you know, let's, put, let's maybe put a little halt on the emotions here. Um, you know, it feels like we've gone. They're only listening to the chorus. Yeah, but it's still such a wonderful chorus, yeah. and I think that's that's the thing. Like, such yeah. a, such a great song. Like I said, six out of five for me. You know, because and, and you'll be hearing that a lot in the next few albums because. because uh, yeah, I feel like some of these songs are they're just like five out of five doesn't really get over how great, you know, a lot no. of these songs are. I would say for me, this is a four out of five. And it's only because it's a very personal thing for me that the way the stereo is used in this song, when you listen to it in headphones, it goes back and forth a whole lot and it makes me dizzy. So I have to listen to it on like outside speakers, anything that goes back and forth too quickly. Like I'm fine with something happening in the right ear and something happening in the left ear. That's totally fine. Yeah. But when it, it's the same thing and it pops back and forth, it makes me dizzy. And so, and I don't like to feel dizzy. So I have to listen to this. This is a good song to listen to in the car. It's a good song to listen to in the home stereo you know where it fills the room and then it feels really good i can't listen to the song in headphones more than so that's the only reason (laughs) that's okay uh let's go to plugs then (laughs) is there anything that you wish to plug yeah i have a prince podcast that i make with my husband called the mountains and the sea we look at the highs and lows of each and every Prince album. And we also look at ancillary material, B-sides, videos, fashion, protégés, stuff like that. You can find us on Twitter at TMATS, T-M-A-T-S podcast. And I have a true crime podcast. Well, true crime adjacent. We look at the intersection of crime and entertainment. And that's called Killer Fun. And you can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod. And for this project, you can find us, you can find us on Twitter at Stevie Bowman. Uh, thanks for being my guest today. It was my pleasure. And otherwise,